0: Good day, it's Wednesday, the 27th of February 2019. French automaker Peugeot is returning to the United States. This news breaking on Tuesday as the company known as Group PSA announced future goals. Bloomberg reports that imports of the vehicles from France or China aren't expected to begin before 2026. The automaker currently sells cars in Mexico and over 20 markets in the Western Hemisphere. Peugeot's final offerings in The US were the 505 and 405, but it sold less than 5,000 of them in 1990 before it informed its dealers the following August that it was leaving the market. This according to a report by Fox News which reported that today, the company sells a full line of cars, utility vehicles, and vans around the world and will be introducing a fully electric model this summer. Group PSA also announced that it will be entering the Indian market with its lower-priced Citroën brand, and after recently acquiring the General Motors brand Opel, the international version of the now-defunct US brand Saturn, the company has also stated that it will soon be selling cars under that banner as well. Well, Sprint customers look to be the first US cell users to experience 5G on a regular basis. The US network, which is still in the middle of a proposed merger with T-Mobile, has announced that compatible phones will be able to take advantage of the carrier's brand new 5G network in Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas, and Kansas City in May of this year. Following that, Sprint will expand 5G to Los Angeles, New York City, Houston, Phoenix, and Washington, D.C. in the first half of 2019. This according to Android Central, which stated that across all of these nine cities, Sprint says it'll have 5G coverage over 1,000 square miles of the U.S. Sprint is currently testing its 5G networks in parts of Chicago, and in a video showcasing this, a top speed of over 421 megabits per second is shown. That result comes from Sprint using two MIMO layers, and when the commercial launch happens in May, additional layers and dual connectivity should result in even faster speeds. However, this won't be working with your current phone. In order to take advantage of these new services and speeds, a 5G compatible phone will be necessary. In 1966, the Impossible Missions Force embarked on their first, albeit fictional, task. Mission Impossible was a long-running TV series following a somewhat regular cast and the assignments given to them by the United States, in order to avert a range of crises, varying from the local to the international. For the first season, Mr. Dan Briggs led the team, but the actor Stephen Hill was unable to act Friday evenings through Saturday evenings due to religious constraints making it more and more difficult to meet deadlines as the show progressed. By the second season, Briggs was replaced by Jim Phelps, played by Peter Graves who became probably the most recognizable icon of the show. In theory, these two were the only full-time members of the IMF. As the series was originally conceived, they would form teams made up of part-time agents who came from a variety of professions, choosing their operatives based on the particular skills necessary for the specific mission. In practice, however, the leader would choose the same core group of three or four agents for every single mission, even though many episodes also featured guest Stars playing one-time additional agents who had special skills. Some of the top crew included Cinnamon Carter, played by Barbara Bain, whose character was a top fashion model and actress. Barney Collier, played by Greg Morris, was a mechanical and electronics genius and owner of Collier Electronics. Willie Armitage, played by Peter Lupus, was a world record-holding weightlifter and often made appearances when a strongman work was needed. And Rollin Hand, played by Martin Landau, portrayed a noted actor, escape artist, magician, and as the show called him, the Man of a Million Faces. Martin Landau was billed as a special guest star during the first season, and he had originally been cast just as the guest star for the pilot episode, with the understanding that he would be one of four or five rotating guest star agents. However, because of the religious absences of Stephen Hill, producers wound up using Landau for many more episodes, and he eventually struck a deal to appear in all of the first season's remaining episodes. Landau also was a regular in season 2 and 3, until he was replaced in season 4 by Leonard Nimoy, portraying the Great Paris, also a master of disguise. Several other replacements also took place over the course of the show, including replacements such as Leslie Warren and Sam Elliott, also playing repeat operatives. The shows almost always began the same. Jim Phelps, or the leader, would arrive at the briefing site, usually at a parking booth, a recording studio, public park or other inconspicuous place, where he would play a tape, a film, or a message of some sort detailing the missing. The message would then invariably self-destruct at its completion, and this would signal the scene where the operatives for that mission would be chosen. The mission often revolved around current affairs in the world, although rarely mentioning real participants by name. A Cold War-esque aura is painted over most episodes, with Cuba, East Germany, and Soviet Union-type countries often playing a hand in the international intrigue, although never mentioned by their names. Running until 1973, the original series has seen several reboots and spin-offs, one of which, in 1988, starred Peter Graves again in his role as Mr. Phelps. Later movies were also made based off the original series starring Tom Cruise and still featuring an adaptation of the original theme. However, none quite compare to the original series and its focus on The mission above all else. The dedication of the operatives and their teamwork all working together without even a hint of internal drama such as is common in newer shows with similar plot or themes. Missing Impossible epitomized what high action TV drama was originally intended to be and it stole the nation's attention for seven years with fascination of the ingenious and an admiration of the cooperation and successes of the impossible Missions force. The Protestant Reformation was ignited by Martin Luther when he posted his 95 Theses on a Catholic Church door in Wittenberg, Germany. One of the foundational views to come out of the Reformation was the five Solas, Latin for alone, standing for five key Biblical points, Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, Sola Fides, Faith alone, Sola Gratia, Grace alone, Solus Christus, Christ alone, and Soli Deo Gloria, Glory to God Alone. Last week, Sola Scriptura was discussed and the importance of Scripture alone and its sufficiency, containing all truth necessary for our salvation. Today's focus is Sola Fide, Faith Alone. One of the most common doctrinal questions of all times within the Christian Church is, is salvation by faith alone, or is it by faith plus our works? This was the overarching question which sparked the Protestant Reformation and split the Protestant Church and the Catholic Church. Sola Fide, faith alone is a key difference between Biblical Christianity and much of the so-claimed Christian cults and false teachings in history and today. Am I saved just by believing in Jesus, or do I have to believe in Jesus and do certain things? On the one hand, James 2 says you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, and Romans 3 says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. This apparent conundrum is answered by examining context, and not just by taking a verse by itself. We see in James 2's context that he is refuting the belief that a person can have faith without producing any good works or fruit when he writes that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James goes on to write that some will say, you have faith and I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. James is emphasizing the point that genuine faith in Christ will produce a changed life and good works. What James is not saying is that justification is by faith and works. Rather, he's saying that a person who is truly justified by faith will have good works in their lives. If a person claims to be a believer but has no good works in their life, they likely do not have a genuine faith in Christ. Genuine faith produces fruit. And Paul also echoes James regarding the fruits, evidencing a changed life in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Contrary to taking these verses out of context, James and Paul do not disagree in their teaching regarding salvation and works. Rather, they approach the same subject from different perspectives, and they do not contradict. Paul simply emphasized that justification is by faith alone. While James puts emphasis on the fact that the same genuine faith in Christ that Paul speaks of produces good works. It has to, because when we're saved, when we're redeemed and transformed by faith in Christ, our faith produces fruit. Don't be fooled into thinking that we must earn our salvation, we must work to achieve our salvation. Our salvation is a gift from God, not of works, like Ephesians 2 says. That salvation will bear fruit through Christ the vine.